uh, as Matt was uh, kind of expressing, I, this is going to be a little bit different because my hope is we have talked about the abiding life for three consecutive weeks. If this is your first Sunday, welcome, glad you're here, um, but you're stepping into like the second hour of a conversation. It's kind of like walking into a movie on the third act here, um, and I'm going to try to catch up a little bit, but this is the part we want to be really practical because there's this amazing truth. The God who made the universe is present with you at every moment of your day. Not just like, oh, his, uh, the radiance off of his body is there. It's like, no, he is with you. That's amazing. And he's not judging you. He is loving you as a father loves their kids. And so we, no matter where we go, we can't flee God's presence. He's always with us. He's always present. So we've talked about that. Our root scripture is John 15. And so week one, we read John 15, and it gives this big analogy of a tree. That just like how a tree, it sucks up the water from the roots and it goes through like, you know, the trunk. That's right, I'm a, I'm a botanist. Um, there's branches and there's fruit, right? They're, he's using grapevines, so that, that's, that's fancy stuff. We like grapes. He's saying, well, if you want good grapes, the way the branches have good grapes isn't thinking about grapes. It's that they remain connected to the vine. And he's saying, just like your life, you want to have good qualities come out, you don't just make yourself become a good person. You remain connected to God. And the spirit flowing through you genuinely changes your life. It'll change your life to remain connected to God. So John 15 talks about that. Then we talked about all these ways that we completely mess it up. Right? We try to go do great things for God, and we kind of say, God, I got this one, and I go off, and I'm going to go preach a sermon. Or I'm going to go off, and I'm going to give money. I'm going to go help change homelessness in Thousand Oaks. We do these amazing things, and it's like, wait. I did it for him, but I didn't do it with him. Or, God, bless my life and be my great therapist and help give me the better life now. And it's like, well, no. We, we, we have all these creative ways of doing everything but living life with God. Then last week we talked about kind of the, the great villains in this story in the same way that it's all, if, if that was all we knew, it should be, you know, puppies and kitties and rainbows. But the reality is we have a flesh. There is an evil one out against us. This world, if you just kind of do what everyone else is doing, it is not going to be a life of joy with God. It's going to be a life sitting on your couch, scrolling on your phone. <laughs> and so this, what, I, what we're doing today is uh, I want you guys to imagine we're getting a cup of coffee. I have the spiritual gift of drinking coffee. It has been grown throughout my life. Um, and I chose the Dodgers mug because if I had a San Francisco 49ers mug, it'd be very offensive, especially to Andrew. So I'm, this is for you. I'm sorry, Green Bay fans, but what'd you expect? Coffee. All right, here we go. But I love to sit down over coffee and just chat about not just theoretical parts of life, you talk about the real parts of life. And so today, we're going to be talking kind of nitty-gritty. We're standing on all these foundational scriptures that Matt spent three weeks laying a foundation for, and we're just going to say, well, what does that actually look like on Monday? What about Tuesday afternoon in my staff meeting? What about Thursday when I'm driving out to LA because this happened and this happened, or what happens when I see this news and it just takes over my life? How 
What do we do there? So this is, we're going to have coffee. So once again, there's coffee over there. Make them brew more. Get up, go get some more. Um, but this is an invitation not for you to become a better person. That's not my goal. This is an invitation to the genuine best life available to you. Because this is what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not you go do things for God. It's not that you become a better person. It's that you get to have life with God starting now forever and ever and ever. And so that is available to us. Now, someday we have nothing in hindering it. It's, it's heaven. But right now we can have that life. And so it's an invitation not to do stuff, but to actually be present to what is already true, what Jesus has actually already done for you. Ooh, don't knock down the drum screen. So here we go. Uh, we, the most common thing when I'm having coffee with somebody is we just assume that the abiding life is just too hard, right? We, we assume we have, to, we have to get rid of the kids. We assume we have to quit our jobs. We got to go move into the mountains above Santa Barbara because this place is beautiful, but that's like really beautiful, right? And I got to join a monastery. I have to devote my life to being a monk. That's what it means to abide. And that is, once again, a lie. <laughs> like we talked about it last week. Jesus is already with you. It doesn't matter if you are force hired in the fire department and you have, you know, five 12-hour shifts in a row. Like, he's there with you. And so we don't have to accomplish the abiding life. He's already accomplished it. And so, yes, the abiding life can be difficult, but it's already done for you. We just want to wake up to what is true. Think about that. You know, we talked about Los Robles it was weird because I got to, you know, dropping off the duffel bags, that front lobby of Los Robles, you guys, can you guys picture it? That was the biggest moment where I felt my heart sink because we're walking out of the hospital and we're holding baby Naomi and there's this realization that there's no other adults coming home with us. <laughs> and as I drive home, I am white knuckling the steering wheel because everything is like, oh, that car, they're kind of on the lane, just right? I didn't do the full like sticker in the window or anything like that. But for the past nine months, Naomi was in the car with us. I just wasn't really thinking about it. Something that was already true when Courtney was pregnant, suddenly I was aware in a much more deeper way of like, oh, Naomi's here. That's all we're looking for. We're looking for an awareness of what's already true. And so the abiding life, it is attainable, but it does take work. There's an entire uh, kind of, uh, lack of a better word, there's this huge list of scriptures where Paul talks about how we train ourselves and how we discipline our bodies for the Christian work. And so uh, 1 Timothy 4.8, I think if you want to write some of these things down. By the way, today is a day you definitely want to take notes because I'm going to be throwing out like a shotgun blast of many ideas, but some of these are going to be just for you. And some of these are going to be like, that's not me. And that's fine, but we're not, you're not going to know until afterwards. So get your notes app out or if you actually write things down. 1 Timothy 4.8, he says to train yourself in godliness. Once again, if you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are saved, you are forgiven, you are made right, you are actually holy. You can't get holier. He has made it for you. You're godly. And he says, 
and also train yourself in godliness. Train yourself to become the version of you you already are. 1 Corinthians 9.27, he gives this analogy of it's like a marathon runner. You know, Matt talked about how you can't go from couch to marathon. It takes work. And Paul, in talking to this church, this very broken church in Corinthians, he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. Whilst after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's like, yeah, there's a race. If we were to all run a race right now, a few of you guys would do very well. And probably most of us, with our COVID bodies, we'd be huffing and puffing before we even hit the street. And it's like, you know what? The spiritual life is just like that. You get to train yourself. Yeah, God's present, but I'm also not very aware of it. Guess what? I'm fully married, and I can be a good husband or a <laughs> learning husband, right? We can choose the adjective, but God, he's got the noun down. He, he, we are set. And the biggest danger, though, is because it's like training. Like good old-fashioned Americans, we love competition. And so we can become competitive with each other and think, my 40 times better than Anna's. I'm a better Christian than Erica. Oh, I don't know, John. Yeah, he's pretty good. Okay, I, I guess I'm less than. And just like sports, we start to compete with other Christians. We start to look at someone who could preach a sermon, look at Matt, or look at, look at somebody that we, whoever we would look up to. I look up to Wayne Barron, like, and we can deify them. We can put them on a pedestal and think, I could never do that, which just means I get discouraged. And I start to think less than of myself. Or I'm competitive and I think too much of myself. And we do all these weird things because there is an element of effort on our behalf. All lies. It's all things trying to do. Satan will do anything to get you to be aware that God is with you right now. And so he'll use discouragement. He'll use competition. He'll use, you know, children's ministry when you're doing it. He'll, he'll do anything. He'll take a good thing and make it into something bad. And so the danger of legalism about I make, I make myself a good person. I'm the one who works out my salvation. Look at Philippians 2. It's going to be there on your screens as well, but Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like a lot of pressure. Would you agree? It's like, hey, get your life together. Work it out. You better be afraid. It's like, that would be horrible if that was the end of that sentence. <laughs> Thankfully, there's a comma. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we, we see there's this analogy there. Even in our training, we're just training ourselves to be present to the Lord. We're the passive ones in the training. Doesn't mean we're doing nothing, but it reminds me of when I was a kid. I loved building stuff, and I think I got that from my grandpa, because he actually was really good at building things. He worked for Boeing. He just... One of those guys, he built his own house. Like, it's just one of those guys. We built birdhouses. And that means he built a birdhouse and I hit his thumb with a hammer, right? Like, <laughs> somehow these things ended up as actual boxes that birds would want to inhabit because my grandpa did the work. But when I left, I felt like I had accomplished something. That's the picture of what our spiritual life looks like. We have this really healthy father, God saying, let's do this together. Let's abide together. I'm already here. Let's hang out. 
And we're just smashing nails and hammers. And he's like, yeah, this is great. Isn't this fun? We're building something together. It's him who does the work. But we still get to work as well. So the best example I could give you, once again, if we're having our coffee, I could point out a bunch of people in this tent. I could point out a bunch of authors that I think, you know, I, maybe some of them I know, or you just kind of, you know, their history online. Or, we want to find an example. Because if you're like me, I got to see it once. If I, if, I can, if I can see an example of something, I can copy that. The best example of the abiding life, you guys know what it is? Jesus, yeah. This might shock you, but sometimes when we think of Jesus, we think of him as the best example of a moral life. We think of him as the best example of a smart teacher. We think of him as the best example of a person who can, you know, have composure under pressure. He's also the best example of what a relationship with God looks like. And so we want these things of Jesus, right? As you read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you can read these amazing stories where somehow he is so bold. Have you guys been shocked by Jesus' boldness at times? Like, how can I do that without being a complete jerk? I'm like, I just go straight to jerk. I can't be bold, but also with self-control. The way he is tender and compassionate towards people who are just like, ugh. I'm like, I want that tenderness. The way he can, you know, uh, just all of it. Uh, the miracles, I'll take any of it. And so when we try to copy Jesus, we often try to copy the fruit of his life. I want to have that understanding of scriptures. I want to have the way he interacts with people. But he's telling us in John 15, copy the abiding part of my life. That's how you get the fruit. He's, he's actually, he's not just the person who saved us and made it so we can have a relationship with God. He's also the example of how we have that relationship with God. And when you read these stories, you can start to begin. It's kind of a fun, like, word search. My kids love word searches. But as you read through the scriptures, you can see these, like, these almost prepositions. They're not even full sentences sometimes. That Jesus has this fully abiding life. He's constantly withdrawing from the crowds and says, actually, I'll be back. I'm going to go pray. Jesus, you're going to miss it. He's like, eh, I'm going to go pray. In John chapter 4, one of my favorite moments in the book, it says that he was compelled, that he had to go to Samaria. Something about him was listening to the Father so much that God, the Father, gave him a desire that you must go to Samaria, which led to the woman at the well, which led to the, this whole town becoming saved because he had this inner desire because he's listening I think it's John, uh, yeah, John 12. He basically says, I don't say anything on my own accord. I'm constantly listening to the Father, and I'll just say what he, has, what he tells me to say. And we see his example is, I'm listening, and I'm talking, and I'm relating, and I'm having a conversation with God constantly. And we assume because this is where the Trinity, right? You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, how does that work? I'm not God. You're not, but you're invited to abide in that same relationship. And Jesus has brought you into that same relationship. So Jesus is your example. What he has accomplished is something that you too can be brought into. And so looking to Jesus as that example. All right, so this is kind of like, we're, there's like a halfway moment here. 
from here on out, I want to focus on some like kind of meat and potatoes, super practical. <laughs> We're talking about training our bodies. I'm thinking about meat and potatoes. Um, <laughs> judge away. That's fine. Um, <laughs> there are certain things that are very helpful to become aware of what is already true in our life. Right? Um, there's certain practices in a marriage. There's certain practices in parenting that can be more fruitful. And I'm going to be going through eight different practices here, and I'm going to put them in three different categories. Um, and I'm hoping that some of these, maybe you already do them, you didn't realize that you're, there's a name for it. Or maybe there's something that you're like, that might be good for me. I might want to try that one. So we're going to look at what are some practical things we can do to make ourselves aware that God is with me. So the first kind of section are practices to slow down. So the big idea here is slowing down. And once again, I'm going to reference the author. His name is John Mark Comer. We talk about him all the time. But he has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And just from that title, you already know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> that for him, he looks at our world as like the biggest enemy to you being present is that you are so busy. And I think a lot of it ends up being self-induced, if we're being honest. Just this morning, I binged on my screen time again for my phone. I'm like, how is that possible? How is it possible I looked at my phone that much? But we are addicted to more. And so we are commuting while getting ready for a presentation as I'm you know, fielding a text message and I'm also listening to a podcast. And then we wonder, how come I don't hear the Lord's voice? Because <laughs> you're in a nightclub and everyone's shouting at each other. And you can't hear the person standing right next to you. And so what can we do to kind of turn down the volume on the world, right? We can just dial it down a few notches. I can hear the Lord that much more clear. So the first practice here is something called a media fast. Now you've probably, you may have heard of a food fast where it's simply you choose to not eat. And that when you feel hungry, you're like, God, I want you more than I want lunch. And it's like that same idea, we're going to restrict, instead of food, we're going to restrict Sources of media. I don't know if you're aware of this. It's probably not that good for your soul. And so these sources of media, they could be talk radio, they could be podcasts, they could be TV, it could be you name it, just the constant stream of Netflix, whatever. It's like, you know what? What if we pause that for a moment and I can actually figure out what I even think about it so I can maybe even listen and hear the Lord like, Lord, what do you think about this moment? Where are you right here? So now this isn't an all day. Once again, we're not trying to become monks. But like maybe we choose a, a day or two. Maybe you choose a week. Or you do something and say, I want to restrict this for a time so I can listen that much easier. I can turn down that volume so I can listen to the Lord that much more. Uh, so that's media fasting. Number two, parenting our phones. This is an idea because once again, this is one of the biggest enemies to your spiritual life. We have a relationship with our phones, often more so than our relationship with Jesus. And so I heard someone say this, and it was like a concept that made sense to me. Just like I parent my kids, and they have a bedtime, and there's a time where if they wake up, it's like, actually, go back to bed. <laughs> you, you need to sleep. What if I treat my phone like, like a kid and say, hey, when they go to bed, it goes to bed. So I can have some ability, and I can have some space. In the morning... If I'm just looking for what did I miss while I was sleeping, it's like, what if I have some space? <laughs> what if I am present, ask the Lord? And I can maybe put in a different practice there, just have my own thoughts 
while I get myself ready. So parenting our phones is huge and life-changing and setting limits on that. And the last one, this one is nothing that's new and modern. This one was invented by God himself. It's a Sabbath day. So when God made the world, he actually made it in six days. But he says, nope, there's one more day. Because I want you to see that rest is baked into my creation. And so God, in six days, he accomplished the work. And then in the six days, like, no, this day counts too. You are to rest. And so God has given us a gift. And we say in our freedom, I don't have to rest. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> and so something that we've learned as a family is just taking a day. Now, it never works every week because inevitably soccer happens in the fall and this happens. And, but we try to, as a family, how can we carve off a day and be fully present to each other? For us, a lot of it is getting rid of media, although we often do family movies or something like that. But I'm not just sitting around, like, you know, only singing worship songs. We're enjoying our day, and we're going on a hike. Yesterday, we went to Paramount Ranch for the first time and discovered the whole Junior Ranger program. Like, it's these amazing gifts that the Lord gives us. It's like, wow, what if I just turn down the volume for a day, and I can be that much more present to my life, but also to the Lord who's in my life. So the idea of a Sabbath. Something I've learned for this one is we put it on our calendar. Because that whole busyness, someone's going to happen. Someone's going to say, hey, you free this Saturday? And you're going to say, sure. And next thing you're like, oh, that was supposed to be the Sabbath. Bummer. Like, I put it on our calendar because if it's there, I can tell people I'm busy. And it's like, I'm busy being not busy. That's, <laughs> that is my life. And this is me taking hold of that. The next section, so if that first section was uh, slowing down, this one are practices that are engaging. How do we kind of step in, right? We were turning down the volume before. Now, how do we turn up the volume, kind of tune our ears to listen to what God's saying? The first one here is a little cliche, but it's for a reason. Beginning your day with a small devotional, right? Um, that word can be a very like a Christian trigger word, like devotional. What does that mean? What it means is I just want to start my day with a little bit of Bible and a little bit of prayer. And say, yeah, I want to listen to what he has to say, and I want to say something back to him. And so for me, I just choose a few verses, or sometimes it's a chapter. I never try to do a whole lot because I'm not trying to learn in my morning devotional. I try to learn some other time. I'm actually getting out books and other things like that, and I'm trying to study. But my morning devotional, I'm sleepy. I'm just like, hey, God. Hair's all messed up still. I'm like, here I am. How's it going? <laughs> and so you want to be, wake up your day. How can I be present to that? Maybe tell the Lord, hey, I'm worried about this. I'm thinking about this. I'm concerned about my family here. I have my journal. I set these things out the night before. That way I'll see myself like, okay, nope. I touch the Bible. Deal with it. And so we just want to start our day with how can I be present to the Lord? And sometimes if something comes up, Sometimes the Bible reading is like genuinely life-giving and full of like, whoa. And other times it's like, yeah, I don't even know what I read this morning. And that's fine. We're just being present to the Lord. We're having a conversation with God, starting our day listening as opposed to talking. Second one here. And this one might be the newest for many of you. If you're in a community group, you guys, are, we are trying this one this week. It is called, I'm, I call it the abiding prayer. That's because we're in the, you know, the Abiding Life series. But uh, if you were to Google it, you might find breath, breath prayer or meditation. 
It's this idea of 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says, pray without ceasing. Basically, don't ever stop praying because you're always talking. Prayer is just talking to God. And so how can I fix my mind on a thought and let that thought saturate my entire day? And so most common, I'll take a verse and I'll, I'll, I'll change it a little bit. But be careful when you change a Bible verse. But sometimes it feels a little too proper and you can change it to be something. And you want to repeat this like 10 to 15 times an hour. Your goal that day is like, I want to say this thought and let this thing saturate every moment of my day like 400 times today. Once again, the number doesn't matter. We're not, comp- we're not competing. We're just trying to have this touch every moment of my day. And so I can take a verse like 1 John 3, one's, uh, it's a fun verse from John. He says, oh, what love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called the children of God. Then he doubles back, he's like, and that's exactly what we are. I love that verse. Is this John? The whole verse is a big exclamation mark, but he put words in there too. I take a verse like that, and if I repeat that every five minutes, I'm like, that's kind of cumbersome to repeat every five minutes. So I'll change it to say, wow, I'm your child. <laughs> five minutes later, wow, I'm your child. Wow, I'm, I'm your child. And so that hits me in a moment, getting the kids ready for the school. I'm just like, as I'm considering how do I get my own children to do what I need them to do? You know what? That's right. I am your child. And as I'm in a moment that I'm like, oh, I'm kind of losing focus. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're my child. I'm your child. And so it just hits all these different points of our day. And this is not something you can do forever. This is something you usually choose a single day to try it. It's called the abiding prayer. And the third one is this idea of just constantly praying. I call it text prayers. Because I'm, I'm convinced everyone has this practice. How many of you have a person you text way too often throughout the day? <laughs> Let's be honest. Come on. Who is, right, we have like eight honest people. Um, it's not good. Well, this is going to be confession. Me and Courtney probably text like 20 to 30 times throughout the day, right? Sometimes they're emojis. Sometimes they're gifts. Sometimes we're just trying to make each other laugh. Sometimes it's make sure you bring this home from when you get home. Sometimes it's a question. We're just constantly talking to each other throughout the day, but it's never formal, it's rarely complete sentences, it's just whatever. It's like sending someone a text. Use that same idea and text God throughout your day. Tell him whatever you want, right? If the abiding prayer is like this rote, no, I have a set thing I'm trying to repeat, this is just send God, you know, praise hands emojis, and then send him a gif of like the office where he looks at the camera, like just enjoy your life because he's there. And so we want to say whatever we want to God, and it just helps you think of like, wow, every time I touch my phone, if I'm sending someone a text, what if I think of sending God a text right now? Does that make sense? Somehow that helps me. All right, the last category here is this idea of ending our day or just reflecting. Because, man, there's a, a very good author, I can't remember who said this, but they said that the examined life is a life worth living. And sometimes we just live, and we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we just go on. Next thing you know, it's 2022, and you're like, what happened to 28, right? <laughs> what happened to 2008? And so we want to look back and examine our day. And so uh, an author, his name is Ignatius of Loyola, he created this thing called the Spiritual Examine of Consciousness, which is super fancy. It's just a reflection. And this has been a practice, I think, that's made one of the biggest differences in my life, that I've incorporated this one into a daily bit. But the idea is, at the end of my day, 
I can look back, and somehow I can see things clearer when I look back than I do in the moment. Somehow the rearview mirror is a little clearer than like the front. <laughs> and I ask myself, when did I experience God's presence today? It's not when was God present, because he's always present. It's when did I experience God's presence today? And then, when did I feel most distant from God today? It's not, was he distant? He was always there. But there's moments where you're like, oh my gosh, where were you? It's like, I, I couldn't see you, I couldn't hear you. What do I do? Me and Courtney, because we tend to be more critical in our own spirit, we tend to be a little more sarcastic, we've learned that we want to train ourselves in gratitude. And so for the last eight years of our life, we ask this question as well, what am I thankful for today? And some days, like yesterday was an amazing day, it's like 12 things. And some days you're like, man, I'm thankful that avocados exist, because at least they're tasty. <laughs> because this day is the worst, right? But even in, the, in those days, I want to train myself, how can I be thankful? And so this end-of-day reflection, you're looking back and you're trying to see how you feel. And I'm, I'm going to give you a little tip here. In Galatians 5, write down Galatians 5 on this one. Paul gives us two different lists. He says, right, we want to keep in step. We want to walk with the Spirit. For our series, we can say we want to keep abiding in God. He's there. We want to be aware of his presence. And he gives us a list of different, like, actions and emotions when we notice that we're in with, with the Spirit and when we're off doing our own thing. And with the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. So when I look back on my day, when I see like, wow, I actually had self-control in that moment when I was talking to that person, there's a good chance I was a little more aware of God's presence in that moment. I can look at the fruit and see, wait, there's a good chance I was conscious of the divine. Then he also gives another list. This one, it, I shouldn't laugh at it. It seems extreme, but if you actually boil it down, it makes a lot more sense. It might describe some of your days sometimes. Here's this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, but idolatry. How often am I self-focused? Sorcery, then all these relational like harshness, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy. Then he says like, etc. He says, and things that like these. He's like, guys, we can keep making this list. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you just described my work week. <laughs> But like that, when I start to feel jealous, when I start to feel anger, when I start to feel like self-justified, like, it's like there's a good chance you're not conscious that the God of the universe is your dad and he's with you. You're starting to kind of grab hold of things that aren't yours to hold on to. And so we can actually look at the fruit and see where in my day am I conscious of the presence of the God? When, the, when parts of my day and am I just kind of like head down, left foot, right foot, and I'm doing my own life? And so he gives us these tips. And so What's beautiful about this is now we can use wisdom. So we don't want knowledge. I'm giving you guys a bunch of knowledge, but wisdom's gonna come on your end of when do you do these different practices? If you know that Thursday afternoon, that's every single time, that's a bad moment, Thursday afternoon. Now I can add something in on Thursday afternoon because I just wanna be aware that God's with me that moment. And I can start to use a practice maybe and see which one's the right one for this. Does that make sense? So we want to examine this. And the last one here, I'm just going to probably mention it here. It's called a rule of life. 
You can also call it a rhythm of life. Basically, that end-of-day examine, it's taking your entire like, year and saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to be present to you. Maybe, I'll make, maybe I write down my schedule. I'll write down spiritual practices I do. Is this enough to be present of you? It's not our effort, but just like an athlete, if me walking the dog in the morning is getting me ready for a marathon, I'm lying to myself. Is this life that I'm living, is it actually the car that's going to get me to the destination I want? The life I desire, this good life of being aware of God in my life, the best life possible, is the reality of my actual day-to-day life going to get me there? And that's, sometimes it can be hard to look in the mirror and see those things, but sometimes it can be really good to see the truth. And kind of a, a concluding note, we've been doing a lot of these things in community because sometimes we get weirded out with our spiritual life. Because we get so jealous and we compare so often, we sometimes think that our spiritual life is meant to be private. Not true. It is definitely personal, but it is not private. And the best thing we can do is, in community, talk about our experiences of God. Talk about the the, the regular hardships we have, or talk about, man, this is just amazing. You should try it. And we can benefit from talking about this together. And some of these practices of reflection, especially, can be really helpful. I have coffees with Wayne Barron. Not often enough, but we, we have coffees often. And it's amazing how much he reminds me, you know what? You're fine because I'm always convinced I got to do more. And so having other people, having mentors, but also just having fellow brothers and sisters, being able to speak into these moments is so, so helpful. The reason why we're doing all these different practices in community groups is because we want to be clunky and awkward and figure it out together because that's life. Of course it's going to be weird. God is invisible. I don't know how to have a relationship with an invisible person. Help me, let's figure this out together. And so we can have all this wisdom as we work this through together. Kind of my last thing here. I, I know this has been kind of a very different coffee of a sermon. It's been very, like I said, kind of workshop meat and potatoes. I want to share from my own life a bit. One of the biggest things that have, has changed in my life, because I recognized early on, I was a pastor's kid. I was running through. I went to Biola. I, I was, I was going to deal with this amazing, great life for God. And I realized that I actually don't want that life. I don't want to do things for God anymore. I want to do things with God. Because if all I'm trying to do is become a better person in some weird comparison game, it's not worth it. It's not. If all I'm trying to do is make my, you know, make my funeral something good, like, what's the point? I can have a relationship with the Lord right now that in the the most difficult moments of marriage or of parenting or just the highest joys of life, I get to have my best friend there with me. I want that. That's the life I genuinely want. And for me, so much of my growth and my learning has been trying to almost detangle the comparison, the really harshness and the guilt and the shame you can put on yourself because you do it wrong, like a daily devotional, True talk. Probably happens five times a week for me. I shoot for seven. If I get five, I'm like, yeah, great week. But life happens. (laughs) Kids wake up before me, and guess what? (laughs) 
Get the parent. Here we go. And so we have, I have had to learn, how can I be forgiving to myself as forgiving as God is to me? How can I be as gracious with myself as God is for me? Because he really is a good father. He really is. This is not, how can I get God closer so he can judge me more severely? No. It is your best friend who is your dad who loves you. And by the way, he made the world. <laughs> and so I want to invite the, prayer, um, the band up here. I'm going to pray for us. But we're going to respond. Now, I know that a sermon like this, it's very unconventional. It can be so easy for us to want to run to and say, how can I do more? I got to do it right. The beauty is that you don't got to do it right. You can do it all wrong, and God is so faithful, and God is so good. He's like, cool. You made a birdhouse that doesn't have walls. <laughs> well done. Let's do it again. And so we're going to respond through some typical means we do together. So we're going to sing songs, right? Sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't. I'm going to train my body. This is what's true of you, God. I'm going to sing truth about God because I need to know this. So join in, sing. We have giving where we remind ourselves that we have a generous God. And so we also give. So most of it's online. We also have buckets over there. We have the prayer team where I see Janet and Ryan Hinkle. There we go. Um, pray. If maybe you're struggling with the same guilt that I had to work through in my own life, talk to someone. Say, hey, will you pray for me? There's this block I keep bashing my head against. I don't want it there anymore. He's inviting us into this really, really good life. And we also take communion, reminding ourselves that anything that would hinder a life with God has been removed by Jesus. That his death on the cross, right, the juice is his blood, the cracker is his broken body. We remind ourselves that he really did die, and he paid for everything. All guilt, all shame, all inadequacy, any of it is removed. We are free, and we are forgiven, and we are the dearly loved children of God. What an amazing gift. That's what we're saying yes to. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much. God, I pray that this, even in this moment, Lord, my own words, as people are at home, Lord, as this, kind of this world is shouting at us of things that can take us out of love and joy and peace, Lord, we want to be with you that you are here right now. Even now, God, I pray we wouldn't sing songs for you, Lord, but we would sing songs with you. Or that we wouldn't take communion for you, but we would be taking communion with you. And so, God, we know you are here, and we know you are with us, so open us up. Open us up to this amazing, good life that is available through you. Thank you. Amen.